Ariana Huffington is the true Renaissance woman, author, syndicated columnist, television personality. Her most recent book is called Greetings from the Lincoln Bedroom. She's also written a biography of Pablo Picasso, which has been turned into a film. Ariana, what do you think of Anthony Hopkins in the role of Picasso? I think it's absolutely magnificent. Picasso is such a complex character to try and capture, and Hopkins manages to capture both the genius and the sadism, the magnificence of the man, the seductiveness of the man, and also the cruelty of the man, and that's very hard to do. Your biography of Picasso was very illuminating about his personality, which was not a very flattering portrait. It was very upsetting, actually, to read. I flinched many times with the passages about his cruelty. What made Picasso this way? It's hard to know exactly which of the many influences in his early years was instrumental and what he brought with him when he was born. But what interested me was to trace this sort of intersection between his genius and uh, that side of his personality that was very dark. And I know a lot of people didn't want to discuss that side of his personality as though it would undermine the appreciation of the artist. But I think we, can, we should be able to do both, to be very truthful about who the man was and the, the kind of havoc and destruction that he wrought to most people who touched his life. I mean, when his last wife um, committed suicide, Marie-Thérèse Voltaire committed suicide, one of the main women in his life. Donna, Dora Maar, another key woman in his life, ended up um, psychotic. Um, Francois Gillot was the only woman to escape. I was very struck by several things in your biography. Uh, something I can't get out of my head is Francoise Gillot being burned by a cigarette butt by Picasso. This is really unacceptable behavior, and yet we consider him to be this talent that overwhelms us. It just strikes me as very difficult to swallow. This, this juxtaposition is very unsettling to me. And we do have a problem in um, holding two different images of someone at once, the image of a great genius and the image of a terrible human being, <laughs> and yet he was both. As you say, to actually hold a cigarette on the cheek of the woman you claim you love and hold it there until it burns a hole that you can still see now, all those dozens of years later, shows a certain personality that should not be admired while we admire the artist and the amazing creativity uh, that, that is truly staggering when you go uh, to any retrospective of Picasso and you see all the media that he worked in and you see that extraordinary inventiveness, you, you can only sort of admire it and revere it, but at the same time, unlike the other two great creative geniuses, Shakespeare and Mozart. I think these three, in their different fields, share that astounding, uh, prolific creativity. But, but Mozart and Shakespeare also had a sense of transcendence in their work, which I feel Picasso's work ultimately lacks. And that is, for me, um, reflective of the character of the man. In your most recent book, Greetings from the Lincoln Bedroom, you're again focusing on a charismatic person 
who's also a philanderer, in this case, not Picasso, but Clinton. Are you drawn to these flawed characters? There are no other kind of characters. <laughs> um, they're just different degrees of uh, flaws. I don't think there is a perfect human being around, none that I have met or that I have been interested in. And so I'm not troubled by people's flaws. I just think that sometimes we are reluctant to explore them, as though then we'll end up seeing them in an entirely dark light. In an interview that you gave with Salon, you are quoted as saying, I am the child of a philandering father. I saw the price my mother paid, and I was the one telling her, quote, you've got to leave him. Is this a theme for you, the philandering man? We have Picasso, we have Clinton, your father. Is this an influence on you? It definitely influenced me a lot as a child because I saw my mother's pain uh, and I really felt that the fact that she insisted on staying with him um, because of her two daughters, uh, I have a younger sister, it seemed not fair because I didn't want her to destroy her life and for the sake of, of her two children. And, she did leave him in the end, and I'm very close to my father. But in that case, it worked out better. Greetings from the Lincoln Bedroom is a satirical take on the White House. You are on a fictional trip to the White House. You stay in the Lincoln Bedroom. Tell me what adventures befall you. It's really a kind of Alice in Wonderland book. It's as though once I go through the gates of the White House, I'm in another world. I've I've gone down the rabbit hole or through the looking glass and it's an amazing world where amazing things happen. I first meet the president, for example, in the hot tub where he is with Newt Gingrich who was then Speaker of the House and he's there in regulation speedos and a couple of interns and a couple of Chinese donors are there and um, Gingrich is fascinated in this conversation by Clinton's ability to remain popular no matter what. And the president replies that um, while Newt makes people feel bad about being selfish, the president has the talent to make people feel good about being selfish. And I think in a sense what I was trying to say here and what I say in different ways throughout the book is that we have really become a society of two nations. You know, one nation benefiting from the strong economy and another left behind and neglected by both parties. Does this reflect a change in your politics? It's not a change in my politics, it's a change in what I emphasize. Because I believe that caring for those left behind is the essence of democracy, other than freedom. Protecting freedom and caring for those left behind. These have always been my two greatest concerns as a citizen and also as somebody who writes about politics. And uh, how to combine those two concerns and get us to be engaged in the lives of those left behind is, I think, a great challenge for a democracy. In Greetings from the Lincoln Bedroom, you critique the powers that be in Washington, both Democrats and Republicans. But you and your ex-husband, Michael Huffington, were really powers that be yourselves there. What has changed for you? Why are you willing to critique a system that you once aspired to? Well, having actually been in Washington as the wife of a congressman and then having um, been in a major sort of campaign 
a very negative campaign on both sides. It taught me an enormous amount about how the system works in a way that perhaps I wouldn't have learned as fast if I had been a commentator all the time. So I'm very grateful for that experience because I saw how uh, campaigns are taken over by consultants and pollsters and especially by the desire to win. And now what I tell friends who are running is, listen, you know, don't make winning the first thing. It sounds paradoxical, but the minute you make winning the first thing, you forget why you're running. You forget everything except that overwhelming desire to win. And the Founding Fathers warned us about that, but we need to be warned again and again. As you probably know, there was a rather negative review of Greetings from the Lincoln Bedroom in the Los Angeles Times. The review said that the book was anticlimactic, full of cheap shots, and not terribly funny. Do you see any validity at all in that criticism? Obviously not. You know, there were a lot of positive reviews too, like the Washington Post. And again, this was my seventh book. And uh, all my books got a range of reviews from wonderful to very critical. So again, um, that's something that um, I've got used uh, through the years. What is next on the horizon for you? I'm now doing a book called How to Overthrow Your Government, which is a book about really the collapse of the two-party system and the fact that so many people have really given up on politics. In the last election, over 60% of Americans eligible to vote did not vote. And this is particularly uh, tragic among young people because we only had 22% of young people, 18 to 24, voting. So I'm very troubled by that trend. And so in that book, I want to look at why is this happening? What are the elements of our political system that have so alienated so many? And how can we take the country back? How can we change the system? Because I, I'm ultimately a very optimistic person. So the book is really a guide on how to change the current system. Well, Ariana Huffington, thank you for your time. Thank you.